Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. went out on a lot of auditions, mostly from backstage actually. I got cast in a few. I didn't notice that there were a lot of roles written for me specifically. A funny person who can't sing and is a halfway decent dancer. Like there's not a lot of stuff written for that and all those roles are going to Whoopi Goldberg. Welcome, regular listeners of In the Envelope, and welcome, perhaps, first-time listeners of In the Envelope who are fans of today's guest. The voice you just heard is Bob the Drag Queen. Well, Christopher Caldwell, a.k.a. Caldwell Titicue, best known as Bob the Drag Queen. And um, as you'll hear from this interview, I am, of course, a fan. You know, I book all the talent on on this podcast, and this is our first episode that really features someone who is versed in the art of drag, which, of course... Drag means a lot of different things, but in general, it means uh, celebrating and or making fun of gender, masculinity, femininity, or any gender expression. Bob the Drag Queen is a perfect example of this. He kind of has become one of the most visible and active drag queens out there thanks to the now Emmy-winning RuPaul's Drag Race, the reality show that has really changed drag. I mean, drag has changed in the last decade or so thanks to RuPaul's Drag Race, to RuPaul. It is different. It is, of course, different in, different in the year 2020. And um, Bob and other drag queens like him are really well-versed in producing short-form content, social media. Bob is a YouTuber. Um, I got to ask him about creating your own content. Here's what I love about this interview. We've, we've heard on this podcast before so many inspirational ideas and inspirational bits of advice. And we do hear those here from Bob. It's just that we hear them in a completely different way because it's filtered through the prism of drag, which we've never quite featured in full on this podcast before. Of course, Bob is also a theater-trained actor and has appeared on stage in a production of Angels in America, and he's on Tales of the City, he's in the movie Rough Night, and he is the co-host, along with fellow Drag Race alumni Shangela and Eureka, of the HBO reality show We're Here, which Bob had me bawling at one point watching that show. It's a beautiful show. So whether you are familiar with Bob or not, whether you are an aspiring drag queen or not, I really think this interview has something in it for everyone uh, who uses backstage and is perhaps at the beginning of their career because Bob has his own specific way of navigating this industry and of of getting through it. And anyone who's at the beginning of their career, you know, whether they are interested in acting, producing, hosting, music, Costuming and fashion, of course, all of those things are drag. So it was really refreshing for me to hear from that perspective. This interview is, of course, hilarious and I think uh, inspiring in its own way. Uh, So let's take a quick break and then get to this lovely interview with I Can't Believe It's Bob the Drag Queen. Thank you, Bob, for joining us and for really queering up this podcast. Hey, if you are an actor or an aspiring actor, someone at the beginning of your artistic career, and you haven't signed up for Backstage yet and you don't know how it works, I have good news for you. Backstage is offering 30 whole days completely free just for our In the Envelope listeners. If you visit backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope, you will have full access to the site where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start applying to the thousands of casting notices uploaded every single day on the world's number one casting platform, 
Again, we are giving listeners of this podcast 30 days completely free to try out Backstage. Go to checkout, that's backstage.com slash subscribe, and enter the code ENVELOPE. If you want to be in contention for an Emmy or for an Oscar or for a Tony or for a SAG Award, do as many of the guests on this podcast have suggested and use Backstage. We are here for you. Again, free 30-day trial, backstage.com slash subscribe. Enter the code ENVELOPE. Actor, producer, podcaster, comedian, and activist Caldwell Titicu is best known as his drag persona Bob the Drag Queen, winner of the title of America's Next Drag Superstar on the Emmy-winning RuPaul's Drag Race Season 8. Born in Georgia and trained in theater, he set off to pursue acting and comedy in New York City, discovering drag could forge that path through the biz. Bob has appeared on screen in Tales of the City, Rough Night, and A Black Lady Sketch Show, and is the host and consulting producer of HBO's Emmy-nominated reality hit, We're Here. Hilarious, beautiful, talented, and humble. Here's Bob the Drag Queen. Hey, smart. Hey, Bob. (laughs) Um, How are you? I'm great. I was trying to like uh, switch it up, and I was going to start your podcast off for you by by yeah. doing an intro. Hey, you know, smart! You know podcasting. Is anyone um, call you smart? Yes, I've heard every yeah yeah, yeah. Jack Dumb, Jack. Uh, you know, there's there's stuff to play with with Jack too. Got it. You know about that. names. You know about names. I have a few monikers myself. Um, in fact, I was going to ask you if in the title of this episode should we call it Bob the Drag Queen or should we call it. Um, Titty Q Caldwell, a.k.a. Bob the Drag Queen, or? Uh, Bob the Drag Queen's fine. Okay. That's my pro name. Yeah. Well, speaking of, so do you know Backstage? Did you ever use Backstage? Of of course I use Backstage. (gasps) Um, My first couple of auditions that I uh, ever embarrassed myself that were all thanks to Backstage. I'm going to make you relive all of them. (laughs) Well, I once went on a Wicked audition um, where I was at the dance hall to be in the chorus of wicked and i remember the choreographer was like you have to really go for it don't be afraid to fall and i said noted (laughs) and i fell and when i fell um i remember thinking to myself he'll be so proud that i wasn't afraid to fall that he'll just let me keep going and i got back up and i started and i kept dancing and he was like (gasps) and for those of you listening you don't see i just did a a hand done like yeah. a, a, a dismissal of the, of the faggoty hand wave. <laughs> well, it's like you took the note. He said you can fall and you did. And I took the other note when he said, get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I take direction very well. <laughs> right. Right. So this was in the early days of New, of New York when you wanted to be a full-blown theater, maybe even musical theater actor. Yeah, this was 2008, 2009-ish. Okay. I also went on my first audition I think my first audition was for Greece, the national tour of Greece. Okay. Um, do you remember Kenley from Project Runway? No. Well, Project Runway, she was in the same season as Santino Rice. Um, and no, maybe she wasn't. I can't remember what season she was on, but she, was, she, made, these, she, she made these like high-waisted hip-hop pants. And everyone kept being like, those aren't high-waisted. And she, <laughs> she, she has the namesake of one of my favorite Tim Gunn quotes, which is, Kenway, I was trying to give you a little bit of constructive criticism. And you've gone off and led me into a precipice. <laughs> anyway, she was at this grief audition. I kept being like, what is oh. from Project Runway doing here? She's like a rich celebrity. And then yeah. I got on TV and I was like, oh, being on TV doesn't make you rich. Never mind. And there, there's the, the moral of this whole interview with you with Backstage. Like, exactly. TV stars are no different from, from anybody else. Exactly. We're just um, like you. I'm just like you. I put my um, sh- I put my pants on one Gucci pad leg at a time. Just like you, I wake up in the morning and I drink a cup of coffee that was strung through um, Mongolian um, dung beetles. Just like you. Right. Just like right, you. You. See, you really seem to know the rich people terms. Yeah. Yeah. Just- <laughs> <laughs> it also seems like it's so crazy to talk to you the week you've moved from New York to LA. Because, of course, backstage is like we start, you know, we are mostly known for New York and theater and all of that, but New Horizons, right? You're, you're involved in the Hollywood side of things now. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I've been on TV for a minute now. I mean, yeah. m- mostly since, well, not a minute, girl. I mean, fully, like, a couple of years. Um, but since RuPaul's Drag Race, I've done a couple of TV moments here and there, yes. left and right. And, um, but it's not, I'm actually moved because I was trying to buy a home. And real estate in New York City is just incredibly expensive. And yeah. even even right across the water in New Jersey is still extremely expensive. Yeah. And if you want to start like getting affordable homes, you guys get closer to Philadelphia or, or, yeah. you know, Paramus, past Paramus to get affordable homes. And I was like, well, at that point I'm not even living in the city anymore. I'm just living like an hour from the city. So totally. I'm going to try to, it's, it, it is less expensive in the Los Angeles area. I found. Yes. Well, and of course, it's 2020 and everything has changed. What is your advice for early career artists, maybe those who are just starting out, in terms of creating your own content, whether that's in quarantine or in general? Well, that's so interesting. You know, I, that's how I kind of got my name was creating my own content. I went out on a lot of auditions, mostly from backstage, actually. And I got cast in a few, but um, I, didn't re- I didn't notice that there were a lot of roles written for me specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, like a funny person who can't sing (laughs) and is a halfway decent dancer um like there's not a lot of stuff written for that and all those roles are going to Whoopi Goldberg um so competition I don't stand a chance you know with with, between me Whoopi Goldberg Titus Burgess and Jackie Hoffman how am I going to get a foot in the door (laughs) yes um so I started making my own content I started I created my my drag persona which isn't really persona it's more of a nickname Bob the Drag Queen And then I started doing stand-up. I started creating my own cabaret shows. I wrote musicals um, that we performed around, that I cast using backstage. Oh, my God. Uh, um, oh, you know what? I lied to you. I didn't use that. <laughs> I used actress casting. No! Now we have to cut <laughs> that part out. <laughs> but I didn't want to lie. I didn't want to lie. I didn't want to lie. <laughs> I, you didn't know the truth. I had to think back about it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. Actually, before we before we go further, though, which jobs did you book on backstage? So I worked for a company called the Grumbling Griffins Traveling Children's Theater, and I booked Ooh. that through backstage. Yeah. Okay. I booked a theater in New Jersey that I turned down because I was like, they're like, you have to move out here. And I was like, I didn't move to New York City to move to New Jersey, Mary. Right. Um, I also booked a gig um, uh, at the uh, Billy Holiday Theater in um brooklyn that i ended up not being able to take because um it conflicted with my waiting table schedule because that was the real dream waiting table okay Um, (laughs) and i'm trying to remember then i think by that time i had oh and i I think i answered an ad about doing stand-up um and by that point i had to start creating my own work and a lot of that was stand-up a lot of it was like you were thinking of it as comedy well, stand, yeah, a lot of stand-up comedy and cabaret, and I would also create shows. Like, I wrote a music, I wrote this parody of Little Shop of Horrors, uh-huh. um, but it was called Little Shop of Horrors, okay. and instead of a big talking plant, you can imagine what it was, <laughs> yes. and instead of drinking blood, you can imagine what it drank, um, <laughs> and I remember, like, being like, if I can't find the plays that I want, I will write them myself, and I will cast people in them, and I will create opportunities for people. Awesome. But what was the dream in the moving to New York City? You have said that you moved with $500 and like a suitcase. Yeah, three bucks, two bags, yeah. one me. <laughs> um, I, well, yeah, I moved to New York City with very little money for what New York City is. I'm not saying 500 bucks is not a lot of money. If I lost oh, sure. 500 bucks today, I'd, I'd be like, oh my God, I lost 500 bucks. Um, yeah. But I moved in. <laughs> this was back in 2008. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't like, you know today um, but also it wasn't that long ago it was only 12 years ago yeah um and i i was hoping to hit the ground start acting i had left an acting job and i was hoping to hit the ground and do some more acting oh. i thought i was going to hit the ground and be like the, like the one big success story i was going to get there and i was going to be the one to book the gig on the first day and be like haha suckers right. who, who said who said you have to wait tables and then I, I was almost like on my way out of the city from like not having work so bad okay um, and then I ended up getting a, a job waiting table at the Jekyll and Hyde Club in Midtown Manhattan, which is oh, a okay. haunted restaurant with like actors and waiters. And I waited tables there. I bartended there. I was an actor there for years. I also did real estate in New York City. Oh, I did children's theater. I uh, was a, a bar bag bartender. I was a host. Um, I was an event producer. I mean, I really did the, the New York City like rigmarole. 
Right. And all of those roles ended up kind of preparing you for the role of, I mean, drag encompasses a lot of what you just said. Yeah. Dra- I would say drag is one of the last art forms. I mean, even clowns have college. You know what I mean? You got, you got to yeah. learn drag from another drag queen yeah. or from another drag artist in general. And mm. um, I, yeah, all that stuff really helped me to like thrive in the business of nightlife. Right. Nightlife and entertainment. So there wasn't necessarily like a, um, I'm going to become this. I'm going to become a whatever, musical theater star, stand-up comedian. It was, were you throwing everything at the wall, seeing what sticks kind of thing? Well, I, mean, I did move to New York City to be a musical theater star, but again, okay. no one told me that you have to be able to sing to do that. Like no one told <laughs> me. Someone should have told me. I, mean, I went to school for theater education. I didn't even graduate. I was just like, and okay. I've learned enough. I'm out of here. Yeah. Because um, I was already booking gigs while I was in school. So I was like, I am so above everyone here. <laughs> right. I mean, really feeling super elite about it. And um, and a move to New York will do that to you. It will, it will. Right. And um, when, I'm, when I'm looking at all those losers who are back in Columbus, Georgia, and I'm living, right. I'll have you all know while you're living in your like houses in Columbus, Georgia, <laughs> I'm sharing a bedroom in Ozone Park, <laughs> Queens. So some of us have made it. Right, exactly. I'll have you know that I scraped chain to get on the seven train. And then I realized that I accidentally got an express and not the local because it's literally the exact same train. So one's a circle and one's a diamond. Yes. And, I got off and then I had to get back on the train, but I didn't realize that you had to pay again. So then I had oh. to literally beg for money to get back to home. So I've actually made it. So enjoy Columbus <laughs> losers. That, that, was, that was the vibe. That was the vibe. And I was going to ask, like, how did studying theater at school that must have prepared you for all of this there were there were applicable skills dancing acting (laughs) the acting yeah the acting classes yes um and i did learn a lot in school um but i also was not but that also wasn't the the issue of my school it was just me i wasn't a great student you know school isn't for everyone and i feel like in america we're really um, taught that you graduate high school and you go to college. That's, that's the thing. Everyone's like, that's you. And they're like, you have to go to college. You have to, whether you can afford it or not. Right. You have to go to college. No matter what you want to do, you have to go to college. And, you know, I believe that uh, actually American higher education is probably the second um, biggest scam in the history of America. Is the first religion? How did you know, smart? Because of that name. Because <laughs> of that name, smart. <laughs> Woo! Um, <laughs> I'm sure you get asked this all the time and I'm sure maybe you're sick of hearing it, of, about it, but like, do you have early, a cancer? I'm kidding. Early, <laughs> early career drag artists. Do they approach you with what is your number one piece of advice? How do you what's, get it? What's the best advice to be a drag queen? Um, <laughs> or to I be on drag race is probably what you get asked. I get asked that a lot. I always say, you know, if your goal is to be on drag race, then once you're off drag race, what are you going to do with yourself? Exactly. Like, okay. It's only a small chunk of your life. Yeah. And I think there are lots of, uh, rep- there's a lot of uh, uh, examples of people who whose goal was to get on drag race and they got off and they were like, well, now I guess I just, you know, twiddle my thumbs. Cause I just thought that it would all just happen for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you want to do drag, you'll figure it out. You know, my, my drag mom is YouTube. I learned everything I wanted to learn Okay. through you. You can learn anything on YouTube. You can learn yes. to make a wig. You can, honestly, you can learn any, anything from making a souffle to a pipe bomb. You can learn to make yeah. anything on YouTube. You know yeah. what I mean? And I learned how to do my makeup or how to make hip hats or how to make dresses. I learned how to, um, do a lot of stuff. And, and I also believe, I personally believe, and it's not the only way, but I do, for me, I was really into immersing myself in the community and, and in the drag scene. You don't have to do that. There's lots of ways who don't immerse themselves in the drag scene and come out shining like nickels. Um, but for me, it was really important to immerse myself in the New York City nightlife drag scene and right. become an integral part of that community. Right, because drag has changed since 2008 and it is largely because of drag race. I would say almost exclusively because of drag race, if we're going to be honest. I mean, if, if it's changed from other stuff too, I would say it is... 98% change from drag race and 2% change from other stuff, you know? Right. Because, because as you say, like, how can anybody now sit there and go, I don't want to be a drag queen. I want to be on drag race when there wasn't drag race before it was more about the passion of 
nightlife, community, being queer, like performance, making people laugh, making yeah. people think, emote, Fashion. feel. I mean, I am someone who came from Drag Race. I saw Drag Race season one, and I decided yeah. I wanted to do drag. Cool. So I can't besmirch anyone who's like, I want to be on Drag Race or who's inspired from Drag Race because I was. If it wasn't for Drag Race, I probably wouldn't be a drag queen. Full T. If it wasn't for Bibi Zahara Benet, right? I, yeah, Bibi Zahara Benet was the, was the inspiration. I saw her and I was like, wow, this, is, this person is being celebrated for all the things that I was told were negative about me. Okay. And if I can find a community that, uh, that, that uplifts everything that I was told was a detriment, why would I leave this community? Yeah. You know? It's kind of like if you, like, I was talking to Amelia Blake, who's a drag queen from the Twin Falls episode of We're Here, and mm. she said something that was just so poignant. She goes, everything about me has been used against me at one point in my life. Imagine if you felt that way. And, but then she found this community where being gay wasn't a problem, where, where being femme wasn't a problem, where being non-binary, where being bald, you're a fierce queen because you're bald, you're fat, and you're a fabulous because of it. You're, you have a bitchy face, and that's a, a good thing. But on the outside world, to the muggles, um, yeah. that's all bad stuff. But you found a community that tells you that all those things actually make you not just you're fine despite it. You're fine. You're great because of it. Mm. That's so cool because on this podcast, we talk a lot about that, the, the, those inspirations and how to use your uniqueness. It's your uniqueness that can end up getting you. It's your specificity that makes you castable and then be able to tell stories but we've never featured a drag queen on this podcast and it's cool to hear from the drag perspective of like go find your community go celebrate the things that maybe you've been that have been used against you that you that have oppressed you yeah i mean my blackness my queerness my gayness my uh my uh inability to shut the hell up um (laughs) These are all things that have really worked for me. My uh, haphazard slapping together of things. I'm not a perfectionist, which is probably, my, which I think might actually be my, my greatest quality is that I'm yes. not a perfectionist. And I will just, I would much rather get it done than uh, figure out how to do it. I'm like, we'll figure it out the third time. By the third time, we will have it, honey. Right. That's so interesting too, because I'm obviously, I'm a big fan of, I'm following a lot of drag queens and I'm fascinated by everyone's different work ethics. And especially like now that we kind of see them all at home in 2020, it seems that some people are like totally productive and some people are like, I'm going to get into drag once a week and point a camera at my face and that's it. And it seems like you've been like, I mean, you recently, you wanted to be more of a YouTuber. Yeah, well, I was doing a lot of the, the, the digital shows for a while, which was actually quite nice. Um, I was also working, you know, I work on quite a few projects in, in the week. I, I actually produced uh, a podcast called uh, Internet Insanity that I edit myself. And mm-hmm. my partner and his friend are the host of it. I'm also on my own podcast called Sibling Rivalry that I do each week with Monet yes. Exchange. I do my YouTube page once a week and I'm also doing photo shoots, which you'll see. I mean, I've, in, in quarantine, I've done the whole houndstooth uh, selection. Yes. I did the pride, um, love the pride thing. I did. I'm now doing Adam's family, mm-hmm. um, looks where I'm doing, um, the members of the Adam's family. So I like, I really like to keep myself busy. And you're not doing it because someone's telling you to, you're doing it because you, you want to do all of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, really have, I don't really have a boss, so to speak. I'm just doing right. it because, well, two reasons. One, I got to pay bills. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it, I, mean, I can't not make money. And um, two, it also just helps me keep my mind busy and helps, and, and I enjoy it. I genuinely like it. And is that maybe also a, a pointer for those new to drag is that they have to know they are their own boss. You have to be your own entrepreneur. Well, you don't have to be your own boss. You can oh, be okay. on a cast somewhere and, and like, you know, be a member yeah. of whatever's going on there. I just know uh-huh. that I'm, that's the kind of queen I am. Right. Um, but no one is going to cheer for you harder than you have to cheer for yourself. Mm. You know what I mean? Especially if you're a local queen. I mean, you, you got to, for me, in my opinion, also don't listen to me or listen to me. Like, do you <laughs> take my advice? And if, I always say, whenever you're getting advice, consider the source. So uh-huh. if you think that I'm like fierce, then maybe you should, consider what I'm saying. Right. If you're like, I don't want to be like Bob the Drag Queen, then, you know, the <laughs> go listen to, uh, uh, you know, um, Alaska podcast, and maybe she'll tell you some <laughs> advice that can help you gear toward what she's doing. Right. But I do believe in putting yourself out there. 
yeah. think for me, it's really important to put myself out there. And Same also, when you, when you, you're going to get criticism, but like, it is really hard to not take the criticism really personally. But then on the other hand, also consider the source. So I just posted mm. a video and someone was like, Bob, this video is so half-assed. They were like, the wig, the makeup. It's the makeup for me, honey. It's the um, so-and-so for me, honey. And then I just clicked on their page. And it was a yeah. video. They had one video that was like filmed vertically. And they didn't even turn the TV off in the background. They didn't have yeah. a light or anything. And I was like, oh, you want to talk about a half-ass? I was like, bitch, consider the source. Like, you didn't even, like, you didn't even do you didn't do anything. That's actually, yeah. Consider so the I'm source like, is great advice. Yeah, consider the source, girl. Like, what would you know? So, okay, if BB Zahara has been A and the Drag Race season one were your inspirations for drag, what was the initial, like, take me back to childhood. I know you've talked about Carol Channing. What were, like, the initial um, actresses or pieces of art? Well, some of the biggest influences in my life growing up were The Lion King. I okay. really loved The Lion King. The Little Mermaid. Um, Barney and Friends, um, okay. Whoopi Goldberg, yes. Carol Channing. Um, these were all big influences in my life. Also, this is a weird thing. Like, I can't say cartoons because as a kid, I didn't look at the cartoons as talent. To me, they were just like these mm. existing entities. Even though I watched a lot of cartoons, I would never think to myself, I'm going to voice a cartoon. I was like, oh yeah, that is just Simba. Like Simba's just some lion who lives in Africa. Oh yeah, like he's real. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but but seeing the kids on uh, Nickelodeon because I was a Nick kid, not I was a Nickelodeon kid, not a Disney kid. Mm-hmm. Seeing the kids on Nickelodeon was like, oh my god, I would, I could be one. I, can, I remember always thinking, I see a lot of stuff, and maybe a little bit naively, I always think to myself, I could do that. Uh huh. I always think, I could do that, girl, easily. <laughs> I don't care what it is. I literally saw without ever having put on a wig. I saw BB win Drag Race and go, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll see someone on a TV show like, I could have a TV. I could have my own. I could be a host of a TV show. I could be on an Emmy-nominated HBO show. And here you are, and congratulations. Can you just, like, maybe the advice is to just delude yourself. Like, how much of drag and how much of acting is... Well, I don't think it is delusion because... I don't think confidence. I don't think I'm delusional because I I, <laughs> I think I'm really talented. I think I'm genuinely really talented. And, oh, of course. And it's um, I think it's believing in yourself for sure, and mm. understanding that you certainly have something special. And right. if you're telling yourself that it's delusion, it won't be real because you can't del- you can't. Uh, actually give yourself a delusion okay because you're aware that it's a delusion yeah and even if everyone else thinks i'm no good i mean in theory we're all right we're all wrong i mean i'm great and i'm terrible i'm the best and i'm the worst it's just a matter of opinion yeah you know what i mean and if you're buying in and also you are unique but not that unique so if i think i'm funny someone else thinks i'm funny too i'm not so unique that no one else in the world thinks like me so if i think that i look really pretty there's probably someone else out there who thinks i look really pretty too if i think that i'm really funny there's probably someone else out there who's like wow this bitch is really funny and you have to find your audience so in terms of Mm. finding people who are like-minded to appreciate the art you're making awesome and is all of that applicable too to like auditioning for a role? Have you have you done recent auditions? Yeah, I've auditioned. Um, I auditioned to be in Tales of the City, which uh, which I did on 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 um, on a Netflix. Yeah, I did audition to be in that, and cool. and I auditioned to be in um, Rough Night with uh, Alana Glazier and um, Scarlett yes. Johansson, um, and the rest of that whole cast. So yeah, I've auditioned and. I just, you know, do my best. I, I also have to remind myself, when I used to work for children's theater, I used to, uh, I remember when we would audition children to be in these shows. We oh, would, sure. We, uh, we were taught to say, when you, ca- when you announce the cast in front of all the kids, you yeah. say, if we did not cast you, it does not mean you weren't good enough. Mm. It just means... We didn't have a role that was just right for you. Mm. It has it has no reflection on whether or not you're good. All it means is we didn't have a role that was just right for you. But next time we might have the show that's perfect for you. And then we would announce all the kids 
and then the kids would come get their scripts. It's also a sneaky little move because once you announce the kids, the kids come get their scripts, and then you're surrounded by the kids who've been cast, and then the angry kids <laughs> get to you because you're <laughs> right. surrounded by the kids. <laughs> but, um, but I had to tell myself that when I went out on the road, I was like, if right. I don't get something, it's not about me not being good. It's just awesome. that someone else is better for it, and that's, that's the tea. That's awesome. And that's often true for the projects like the Hollywood projects or like your early kind of theater days too, right? Like those are not things that you have control over. So all you have control over is your response or your attitude. Yeah. I was scanning through Amazon the other day and I found this movie that I did. I mean, I was like in the background for this movie. And I mean, years ago, starring Laverne Cox called Musical Chairs. And I was a drag queen working in a sewing, like, like a, like a costume shop or something. And I had never seen this film until, you know, in quarantine, you're like, whatever happened to that movie I did called Musical Chairs? And then I was clicking through it and I saw this like skinny 22 year old <laughs> kitten with a whip drag queen. And I was like, what is going on? And, for, and, and I remember at the time being like, cause there was a square dragon and had a lettuce who had all the speaking roles. And I was just so jealous. I was so jealous. Because I was like, I'm funny as her, and yada, yada, yada. Then I watched the movie, and I was like, she is so much better for this role than I am. (laughs) Like, this is obviously, like, it's practically written for her. But in the time, all I could see was me being mad that it wasn't me. Okay. You know, it was very, it should have been me. Right. And it's almost like that takes practice, the idea of getting over that it should have been me. And also, I mean, it's reminding me of just this idea of, not caring what people think about you, that takes practice too, right? These things yeah. take their I mean, skills. And, and getting over it should have been me for that role. It, look, it only took me 10 years, one decade later, and I'm, mm. I'm cool. That's yeah. it. I th- All you <laughs> need is a decade to really process your feelings. Well, that is what our podcast listeners need to hear, I think. It, it could, you, you need perseverance. You need perseverance. Yeah. And at this rate, we'll probably be in quarantine for another 15 years. By the yes. time we can all breathe the same air, we'll all be evolved human. We'll, we'll be so evolved. We'll just get so much communication through with a wave and, a, and an yeah. elbow bump. Yeah. I'm going to be straight by the end of this quarantine. <laughs> all right, Jack. Let's not say things we can't take back. Let's not say things. I honestly, I, I do have to say, though, maybe this is an awkward transition, but Black Queer Town Hall and all of your activism, this summer for me was... I was missing like being gay and Pride Month was coming and all of these horrible things were happening in our country. And I'm fascinated by how activism and the arts intersect. And I would love to hear from you about how, because Black Queer Town Hall, for me, it was super teachy and I learned a lot, but it was also Mm -hmm. so entertaining. Do you have like a philosophy about activism and the arts? Yeah. So Black Queer Town Hall was a response to, actually, I remember watching Obama's town hall on YouTube hmm. and thinking to myself, oh my God, it felt so nice to have a town hall for black people. I wish it was even more specific and it was about queer black people. Right. And I was like, well, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And, and what Gandhi said. Hmm. Um, so I'm like, all right, Mahatma, let me give it a shot. <laughs> um, and then I called up my friend Peppermint. I was like, I want to do this thing and I want someone to, to like host it with me and help me out. And I know that for me, activism and, and arts have over, they intersect a lot, not always. Can I make some art that is just stupid, silly, <laughs> fun stuff? Yeah. And I make some stuff that I, I'm intending to be intentionally thought provoking. Right. I don't necessarily, not necessarily, I don't at all actually, um, feel like it is every performer's job to be political. A lot of people okay. feel that way. I feel like it's not my job to tell anyone how to use their platform or their voice. So like people were giving Beyonce a hard time before she got political or Taylor Swift a hard time before she got right. political. Um, and I guess, or, or Dolly Parton, who has never been political. She's been apolitical um, intentionally her whole career, actually. Mm. Um, and that's good for her. I know that, but I know for me personally, um, I just, like I said, I have one of those loud mouths I can't shove about stuff. Mm. So I felt it important to um, try to, you know, here's what it all started. When, years ago, I got on the train, and I was in full drag, uh, and, like, everyone turned around and looked at me. And I mean everyone. Like, when I got on the train, it changed the pH balance of the mm-hmm. air. And you're alone. Like, yeah, everyone was like, what is going on? 
I thought to myself, wow, everyone's looking at me. I have everyone's attention. I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, if I can get this much attention, would it be nice if I had something really important to say? Okay. And then I just started, then I, so then I started getting dressed up with my friends. We went down to Times Square every Saturday uh, and we like um, did demonstrations for marriage equality until we got it. We did it every Saturday despite the weather until we got marriage equality in the state of New York. Hmm. We handed out flyers and we did all this stuff. And I was like, everyone's looking at us. We, we can actually use our voices because we have so much attention. We have so many eyes on us. Interesting. It's because you draw the attention <laughs> by being in a wig in some ways. Yeah. And, and not just being in a wig, being loud and being yeah. maybe funny or being um, gorgeous. Um, whatever it is at the moment, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very lucky to, let me tell you now, I was watching The Social Experiment, um, uh-huh. which I kind of have a few problems with, but this is not about The Social Experiment. <laughs> I think it was more about how the movie was done. I was like, this is some weird <laughs> scenes in this movie. But um, I didn't realize how important it is to have people's attention. It's like the most valuable mm. resource on the planet. Okay. Attention is the most valuable resource it's more than oil. They spend more on this than everything. When you think about advertising, they spend more money on attention than any other resource. And it is unlimited. There's an unlimited amount of attention. Um, and I have a, a, a really nice ability to get a lot of it. And I try to keep that in mind. Right. And also, I've never thought of it that way that I've, I mean myself in this podcast, we very much believe in the power of the arts, entertainment, storytelling, and all of that. And I love this idea that it's because that diverts attention, that the currency of that is attention. And as you're saying, also advertising and that affects the economy and that affects politics. And yeah, uh, getting people to look at you and listen to you. That's why everyone acts like the Kardashians are untalented. I say, I don't know. I think they might be hmm. the most (laughs) because they get so much attention. And that is currency mary that's the currency if that's i don't the know i don't know enough about, i don't know a lot about the kardashians I, I never watched the show but i know that i know then i would here listen to this without ever having watched the show i can name every single person in their family right isn't that weird I, i've never even seen the show i can name all of her sisters i can yeah. name her parents i can name her husband it's insane. Sort of like they're a royal family like the american royal family that we all know about that we don't necessarily want to know about but yeah but we know yeah and it's because they have, yeah, mastered the art of attention, the art of attention. Right. I know more about Kim Kardashian <laughs> than I know about Oprah Winfrey, who I've never not known. Right. I've, as far as I've existed, there has been an Oprah Winfrey in the zeitgeist. Yes. And Kim Kardashian popped up like, what, 10, 12 years ago? Right. And now I know everything about her. Totally. We also, we, I would love to ask about social media. How does social media fit into that? Activism, but also attention and Girl. like using your platform. Girl, social media is a real wildfire. I think I had a, 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 a moment where I turned around on social media because I had this Uber driver who okay. tried to scam me. I was so mad that he tried to scam me. And I was like, I posted his, a screen grab of his thing and I was like, this motherfucker tried to scam me. <laughs> and then people were like, are you really coming from this Uber driver? <laughs> Like this guy trying to pay his bills, and I kept thinking to myself, "But I'm not wrong. Like he, I, I was an uh-huh. innocent person, and he scammed me." Uh-huh. I'm going to the scene right now where this uh, wig maker sold me a wig, and it was months and months late. And then the wig they sold me wasn't the wig they said, and they scammed me out of fifteen hundred bucks. And my thought process was, "Do I tell the world like don't buy wigs from this wig maker, or is it me mm-hmm. punching down at someone who?" Is it worth it? Because social media is different to different people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When I was on this panel at DragCon a while back, this, this one lady was like, it was this white lady, and she was like, it is not enough to tweet. You have to knock on doors. Because when mm-hmm. Obama was running, I knocked on a lady's door at 8 p.m. And she came to the door, and she was wearing a, um, a guns gun right shirt and... But I talked to her and she went to the polls and she voted because I knocked on her door. And I was like, okay, a big black man knocking on a gun rights activist door at 8 p.m. For me, the best case scenario is this bitch doesn't answer the door. That is the best of best case scenario for me. 
And I was like, maybe it's not enough for you to tweet, but your Twitter is probably pathetic. I have 500,000 Twitter followers. So my tweets are probably okay. followers. And yeah. you think tweets aren't powerful. Girl, tweets are what helped Donald Trump win the last election. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it, social media is just really, really powerful. And I don't think we've ever had anything quite like this in my lifetime anyway. Mm. I mean, that's the, it goes back to that idea that it depends on you yourself, what you are, your background, your platform. Yeah. And also, yeah, what suits you. It doesn't suit you to go door to door. But it can I mean, when's the last time you watched a music video on TV? I, when was the last time I watched TV? You know what I mean? Like every music video <laughs> I've seen was through social media. I watched it on YouTube. I watched it on Instagram. Yeah. I watched it on Bippity Boppity. Um, it, is, it is where we live now. And I feel like a lot of people want to escape it. And I'm like, there is a way to have it work for you. They have features where you can limit the amount you see in a day. I, and I do think there are actual real implications to, to, what, to the effects that it can have on you. I've, I've, ne- I've never hated my body until I, well, I'm, I'm also older and fatter than I've ever been. But, um, <laughs> but, but being on, on Instagram and thinking to myself, does every 33, 33, I am not 33, I'm 34. How old am I? 34. <laughs> Does every 34-year-old yeah. have like six-packs and like the leanest? Is it every 34-year-old in the world or is it just the ones who have the great bodies keep showing them? I'm like, yeah. so I'm thinking my body's wrecked, but the truth is it actually isn't. But then I have to just navigate myself away from those things on social media. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the advice is like, I don't know, die mad haters or just like, do your own thing and be in touch with yourself and don't let other people's judgment affect your path. Yeah. I mean, listen, watch the color purple. I mean, true. It's, it's ah. my favorite love story because yes. in the end she doesn't get the man. She doesn't get the woman. She gets herself. She learns that she, she gets the, the real, the truest love there is. She, she loves herself in the end. I love a story like that. And this was told in the eighties. I mean, Alice Walker was so ahead of her time. Yes. So ahead of her time. Everyone else makes you get the girl or the guy in the end. Yes. You know? Yes. And Celie got herself. I just love that. She finally yes. had to think that she was beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you for bringing it to my favorite movie, musical book. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's everything. It's everything. Um, we ask, okay, so going off of that, we ask these silly backstage questions of everyone. Do you have like a favorite performance or, or a performance that you think every actor should see? Well, the best Tony Award performance ever, and I mean ever, and I'm not even unique, is Jennifer Holliday at the Tony Awards singing I'm Telling You. I yes. mean, talk about bringing a room. This is back when they used to bring the entire set to, to the Tonys for yes. each piece. Right. And Jennifer Holliday is just, I mean, it's also back when they used to do like eight minute numbers. <laughs> She's doing I know. the yeah. entire conversation and, and I'm telling you, and it's just oh so good. It is insanely good. And, and if that's not your swing, then also the second best performance is probably Sudden Foster doing Anything Goes, uh-huh. where she comes out and she belts, and then she does a full like three minute tap number and then belts out the, like it's like insane. <laughs> like so I, I feel like if you're a theater a theater homo like me and you want to like revel in <laughs> the true majesty of in my opinion the best tony award performance of all time yes. it has to be jennifer holiday at the tony awards um doing and i'm telling you um what about like a film or tv performance you mentioned the color purple oh yeah but the color purple is, is one of my favorite movies of all time it's actually yeah. probably my favorite movie of all time the color purple is just really really brilliant um whoopi goldberg and in the color purple is just a tr- she should have won the the, um, the Oscar that year with yes. her, poli- her politics. I mean, the Cobra was nominated for 10 Oscars and it won zero, but that's a different story uh, for a different day. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's just, it's just so brilliant. In terms of comedy, you, you should really go back and look at Whoopi Goldberg in mm-hmm. Ghost. It is a, mm-hmm. it's like sincere comedy. It's really brilliant. It's got some really um, wonderful, uh, you know, straight man banana elements to it. Patrick Swayze is the, Straight Man and Whoopi Goldberg's The Banana. Um, it's got, it's, it's, the costumes are great. Uh, it's just, and also, so yeah, I mean, I could go on about Whoopi Goldberg movies until the end of right. time. 
I could be here talking about movie lover movies for. You should also watch Carol Channing performing uh, "Jam Tomorrow" but never "Jam Today" as the White Rabbit in Alice in Wonderland for yes. uh, TV. I think it was a nineteen ninety four uh, Alice in Wonderland, and it's yes. just so. Which good. I saw as a kid, and I, even as a kid, I was like, "What is this?" Bob, thank you. Um, we ask everyone this as well: if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, maybe the you that was saying, hey, screw you, college, I'm moving to New York with, to follow my dream. You know, I, if I could go back in time, I would just watch me and be like, girl, work. Okay. Like, I would be like, you do, you're doing the right thing. You, you, honestly, you're doing the right thing. I mean, maybe if I was really not afraid of f***ing up the time space continuum, I would probably <laughs> be like, hey, don't take those summer courses because it's going to rack up a lot of debt and you won't pay it off for years. It's going to ruin your credit. Okay. But outside of that, I'd be like, girl, all the stuff you're doing is really nailing it. Mm-hmm. No regrets. Because what if I said, what if I butterfly effect this shit and I said the wrong thing <laughs> and then I ended up, you know, still living in Columbus or, or who knows? Didn't say. you watch the butterfly effect with Ashton Kutcher? You can't go back I in time and affect things. You have to leave things alone. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that non-advice is great advice. So thank you. Thank you, Smart. And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hi, guys. Christine McKenna-Torella here. This week, I wanted to tackle the topic of casting and talent searches that end up to be scams. Whether you're new to acting or you want to understand how backstage vets casting calls that we receive on this site, I'm here to give you the scoop. First off, I want to make it clear that scams on backstage are incredibly rare, and that's because of a number of factors. We have sophisticated software that blocks suspicious IPs and keywords and more. We introduced background checks this year on our creators to protect our acting community. And our amazing casting editing team in New York and LA look over every casting that goes on the site. Last year, that was over 50,000 casting calls. If a listing is determined to be a scam, suspicious or inappropriate, it's quickly flagged, rejected, removed, and the suspect's account is shut down or frozen. I want to explain our policy of instant access on the site. There are two types of castings on the site. There are verified and verified pending, or what we call instant access. Verified is when the casting editing team has looked over the casting, double-checked the project, and believes it is a real opportunity. The verification pending, or instant access, will have a large yellow banner at the top of the casting to indicate that it's not been reviewed by the team. The banner will say, instant access, this listing has not yet been reviewed by Backstage's editors. You can apply right away, but please be aware of scams. Inappropriate content will be promptly removed. This banner appears if you're browsing via laptop or via an app, you'll always see it. If there's no yellow banner, it's been verified. Ultimately, we're a business of connecting actors and creators with amazing opportunity and talent ASAP. And as I've already emphasized, we've the structure in place to make sure that scams are pretty rare on the site. Because of our editing team, we will take down any questionable castings quickly and if in doubt, reach out to our customer service team and we'll investigate. So let's talk about unverified castings or castings that are outside of backstage. Unfortunately, because of the nature of the World Wide Web, there are scammers looking to take advantage of new actors or people that are out of work right now due to the current pandemic. And that's why it's important to use a trusted casting source like Backstage. Here are my top tips to spot a fake casting notice. Look for clues in the breakdown. If there's bad grammar, bad spelling, that means that breakdown's not been checked by a team. If there's a lack of specifics, no details about where the project is being shot, when and how you'll receive payment, if you receive payment, those are all red flags. Scammers like to keep people confused. They use vague language. Real listings will give you as much clear communication as possible. If they're casting without an audition, 
Although some real projects will cast actors without meeting them first, it's more common for scammers to do that to claim they want to hire you before meeting you. Unless you're an established name or perhaps have worked with someone before, the general protocol for getting hired as an actor, right, is submit material, audition, get hired, do the work, get paid. If something's deviating from that sequence, you should be asking yourself why. If there's any request for nudity or something unprofessional or unusual in the audition room, Legitimate projects will not request nudity for the audition, partial or otherwise. You will be booked on the project before you would have to fulfill the nudity required in the project. So keep that in mind. You should never, ever pay to audition and be wary of projects that ask you to pay to be involved. Once you've started corresponding with a producer or, or casting director, does their email match the company they claim to work for? Sometimes more sophisticated scammers will use a real casting professional name on the listing, but they won't be able to use their actual email address when they communicate with you. Can you Google or search this production company and find the contact person and connect them to this project or past projects you know are legitimate? Bottom line, guys, don't be afraid to say no. Trust your instincts and walk away from any potentially bad situations. I'm including in the show notes our comprehensive guide on backstage on how to avoid casting scams, as well as some more information on instant access and how we verify on backstage. Let's talk about the casting calls for this week. Paper Girls, which is a new Amazon series based on the comic book, is currently casting their leads on Backstage. So take a look at the particular breakdowns for their leads and some of the supporting characters that they have up on this site. And for all you foodies out there, there is a production company looking for a host for a food-based roadshow with a history twist, searching for big personalities who love food, love hosting, and if they have some comic background, that is a plus, casting nationally and virtually. I've had a request to feature some of our UK castings. Of course, we have a big hub of castings in the UK and in Australia. And so I've picked up my favorite for this week. I have a soft spot for pantomime. So casting Aladdin at Luton Who, the company is doing a unique COVID secure production for their Christmas season. Talent artistic group, congratulations to you guys for figuring out how to make the traditional pantomime work for 2020. It is a fabulous 75-minute show in a socially distanced big top. If I was going to the UK this holiday season, I would be checking that out. It sounds fantastic. They're looking for self-tapes for the first round, and of course you have to be based in the UK to be able to be considered. That is all from me. Have a beautiful week. Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.